Hello, dental online trainers, and welcome to the Dental Online Training Sharecast. I'm your host, Dr. Dennis Hartley. Each month, we'll talk with dental experts who are doing amazing work in the world of dentistry. Also, occasionally, I'm going to throw in a few of my solo bonding sharecasts where I share a little with you about what I've learned along the way during my career. So tune in the first Tuesday of every month to hear the latest episodes. Hello, Dental Online Trainers. I am Dr. Dennis Hartlieb, and welcome back for another episode of our Dental Online Training Sharecast. With me today, a, a, a good friend, a very, uh, very, very good friend of mine, someone I love chatting with. And, you know, one of the things about this Sharecast is it affords me the opportunity to catch up with people that sometimes I only get to see them at meetings. We have a little short chit chat. So this can be a chance to sort of hang out and, and just sort of catch up with friends. Uh, today's guest is Dr. Brian Lesage from Beverly Hills, California. If you don't know Brian, he is one of the most skilled cosmetic and restorative dentists we have around in our country for sure. And one of the most accomplished dentists. And uh, let me give you just a little snippet of his resume. He is a fellow of the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, which is no, no easy task, as we've discussed on this podcast multiple times. He is a fellow of the Academy of General Dentistry, and he is a fellow of the American Academy of Aesthetic Dentistry. If you're not familiar with the American Academy of Aesthetic Dentistry, it's like a double secret society where sort of who, who knows who, who, and you get invited to do a presentation and then you get invited in. Uh, and it's a very select crowd. It is sort of the who's who of the aesthetic and cosmetic dental world. And he's a fellow of that as well. So he's like triple fellowed, and I don't know if I know anybody else in dentistry that's a fellow of the AACD, fellow of the AGD, and the fellow of the American Academy of Aesthetic Dentistry. Brian, are there any others? Uh, I don't know that either, even though I do know that uh, Buddy and uh, Jimmy Eubank are actually fellows of AACD and AAED. That yeah, I and, and I, I think maybe Betsy might be fellows of those. And uh, Mike Sussman, is he fellow of uh, maybe no, not? Neither one of, no, neither one of those yet are fellows in EAA. All right. All right. So here we go. They, so deservingly of it, they certainly are, but they, but they are not uh, fellows. So he lives on high ground. Uh, Brian practices in, like I said, Beverly Hills, California, which I want to talk about a lot because I, I have lots of questions about running a practice in Beverly Hills and, and staying mentally sane in Beverly Hills. So we'll chat about that in just a second. He went to University of Maryland Dental School, and I want to chat about that. And I don't know if I should offer condolences on the NCAA whooping, uh, if, if you follow. Sure. Uh, but Maryland did okay, but then didn't do okay. So anyhow, with me today, uh, my good friend, Dr. Brian Lesage. Yay, here from the crowd. Cheers. <laughs> Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Dennis. Yeah. Glad to be here with you. We've talked about this for a while and we're finally getting this going. So here we are. So Brian, anything uh, from that introduction that I left out besides the fact that you also teach at your office, you have a teaching center, the Beverly Hills Institute for Dental Aesthetics, B-H-I-D-E, and you do some programs there at your dental office also. Anything that I left off about your resume that you wanted me to make sure that we that we talk about before we start talking about your sort of your past and sort of your influences and all that stuff? Yes, uh, I'd like to add one thing, which is uh, because I'm a Bruin fan, really. So, so the Bruins are still on the right track. Uh, oh, there so you go. Strong. I started the um, 
uh, UCLA Aesthetic Continuum in 1997. So uh, it's uh, the longest standing university-based continuum, aesthetic continuum, uh, maybe in the world. I don't know about the world, but certainly in the United States it is. So I'm, I'm proud to have started that where, it, you know, we got shut down for COVID, looking to start it back up. We did 24 years. I wanted to at least hit 25 years of running the continuum. Uh, and I'll probably go longer than that, too. Uh, so that's that would be the only thing I think you really said enough. I'm glad you brought that up because I want to talk about that as well, because I think that's something that's really interesting to me. And I think to some of our listeners will find that uh, super interesting as well. Uh, the other thing is, uh, Brian, and I've gotten to know each other even more through the American Academy of Restorative Dentistry, my uh, one of my love and passion projects working with the Restorative Academy. So we've gotten to know each other well through that as well. And Brian, I wanted you on my program this year, but I, um, you got bumped over to Amanda's program. So I, I will tell you that I did have you on my program and they oh. stole you over to the clinic. So sorry you couldn't be on my program this for, for 2025. But I'm sorry anyhow. about that too, but okay. <laughs> All right. So Brian, where, where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. All right. So that's so, how you ended uh, up in Maryland. Where'd you, where'd you go for your undergrad? I went to UC Davis. So my, my dad was in a public health service as a pharmacist. And so we moved around a little bit, which, uh, you know, influenced really my personality. Probably I would tell you in a negative way. But anyways, I, I grew up in Baltimore, uh, lived there from age two to 13. So your dad moved you guys around a bit because he was in public health services. Yeah. When what, what were the influences of seeing what your dad was doing with public health services? Like how much of that came home and what, what were you witnessing? So when he moved to San, well, when we lived in Baltimore, uh, we were actually on a, this, this was not a fun part of my life. We lived on a psychiatric institute. So it was a, a special area. And my dad was one of the chief pharmacists there. And they, in those days, we're talking about, you know, the sixties and, and, and such. Um, they would make the compound drugs. They would make all the drugs. And so he'd bring me into these sort of factory warehouses and I'd look around and see these drums of drugs. It's like, what's in there, dad? Oh, that's a blah, blah, blah. You know, and I go, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, but more importantly, actually, then when we, he re relocated from Baltimore to San Francisco. So that's how I got into California was in San, a little north of San Francisco, very small town, uh, 17,000 people when we moved there. Uh, and he was, a, he was a hospital pharmacist. And so now he worked in a hospital. And uh, I loved going to the hospital with them. Absolutely loved it. The other pharmacists, I would ask them questions about medications and drugs. And my dad, whenever he went up on the wards, I say, dad, please take me. Uh, and I love going up on the floors and the wards. And, and my dad was a really smart guy. Uh, and the nurses all, he had a kind of fun little sense of humor. The nurses loved him. And, and it would just walk through and see the pit, Bob, what's, well, what's going on? And, you know, why is that patient in there? Because they would ask him technical questions. And obviously, I didn't know what they were really talking about. I was sure. 13, 14, 15 at the time. But it was fascinating to me, medicine. Uh, probably that was my really, you know, true introduction to medicine uh, and healthcare. Uh, watching my dad being, uh, you know, giving advice and such to you know, the physicians looked to him for really uh, in-depth information. And I still have talked to my dad. He's still alive. I still get to talk to him and ask him to share stories about, uh, you know, when we went up on the wards and how the doctors really, um, really respected him because he was really a brilliant chemist, which in those days as a pharmacist, that's what you had to be. You know, today, right. I'm not sure you have to be such a great chemist today, um, but he really, he really was. And some of his stories are crazy fun. <laughs> well, I mean, that obviously leads to the first question is like, how much did you get to play around with psychedelics then as a dad, as a pharmacist <laughs> in the sixties? Uh, none. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that was, uh, 
I'm gonna t- okay. I'll tell you this story, which is kind of uh, you know I probably shouldn't. I'm not gonna tell you that story. All right, fair enough. I would love to talk to your not dad. Nothing with though, me. About- not, not not drugs with me. Well, my dad had a little pill bottle. Okay, I'll tell you. And and when we took a road trip and we had to drive very far, <laughs> after a couple hours into the road trip, my dad would ask my mom. Now there's seven kids in a in a station wagon. Okay, so how do you fit seven kids in a damn station wagon? Right. A road trip from Baltimore to Boston, which is where all our relatives were. And my dad would say, give me a half a pill. Okay. And, you know, we had no idea what the hell this pill was, you know, and and you could guess, you know, what the truck drivers took in those days. Little speed. Got to keep them going. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so uh, uh, it's like, okay, you know. Just a little pill. Okay, Dad. All right, great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. These psychedelics are coming back into uh, into vogue and for for treatment and and depression and other things. So I bet your dad's got some great stories. But uh, anyhow, does. as as a kid growing up and seeing your dad in this profession, that's got you sort of I'm assuming interested in medicine and that type of thing. So where where does dentistry fit in into all that in your life? Uh, the the uh, so a couple of little things occurred there, which was uh, I was at UC Davis undergrad, and at UC Davis is the middle of a farming community up in Northern California. Right, and so uh, the Mexican American farm workers' children, um, there was a um, school bus, a, a dentally equipped school bus that would show up every Thursday or Tuesday, whatever day it was, and the members of the dental study club at uc davis which was a pretty big study club amazingly so uh would go whoever wanted to it could would go and assist the dental students so ucsf dental students would come with the mobile clinic i'm not sure actually all got came together but uh and so you i was thrown into being a dental assistant fascinating i, mean, I couldn't speak spanish at all you know right uh, and so there's these little kids uh, you know, and the little, the bigger kid would come out of the bus and the little kid was sitting there and go, they got a needle this big, you know, <laughs> and, and you just started learning Spanish. And I was like, needle and abre la boca. And, you know, you learn some things, it was, right. it was good. but it was like, don't tell them that. Come on. Don't, don't, don't tell your little sister that. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. That's yeah. what big brothers do. Yeah. And uh, so it, it, it was really fun uh, for me. I, it, I just saw this and said, wow. So that, that was a big influence. I mean, that really was the turning point in my career. I also realized, you know, uh, kind of like you, Dennis, I know how dedicated you are to uh, learning and continued learning. Uh, and I knew that that if I went into medicine, which my dad had me, I could have got into any medical school almost anywhere. My dad had connections everywhere. I'm not sure. probably anyone, but, but certainly I had connections and I could have got into a, a, a medical school. Uh, and my dad really thought I'd be a great physician. And, and I think I probably would have been a great physician, but I knew I would have killed myself because uh, I would have, I would have had a hard time leaving the hospital, you know, oh, right. really would have, because I just know that I had sick people, if you will, that I was trying to, that I was caring for. And I, I, I knew my personality that mm. that was not going to work well with my personality. I just care too much. Uh, and I would have been too hard on me. So, and I just knew I wouldn't be able to have a family and, and family for me was very important also. So, so it was kind of like, okay, you know, I could still do medicine uh, yep. and be in the medical field. Uh, and, um, I think I'm pretty good with my hands. Uh, and I really like, I did a lot of crazy drawing projects as a little boy, you know, as a young man, uh, and very detailed, uh, work with my hands. And my mom would always, you know, encourage me, oh my God, you know, you know, you did a, you know, I did little, uh, plastic cars, you know, putting the pieces all together. Yeah, all sure. together. And these things were meticulous. I mean, you know, you right. didn't see glue, you didn't see any of the super glue, whatever, uh, modeling cement 
you know, I did a huge Cuddy Sark as a young boy with all the lines and everything. And it was, it was, I never wanted to throw it away, but I was like, I didn't know what to do with this thing. Sure. It was really, you know, my mom, we would just love my dad, you know, was busier. My mom would just go, wow, Brian, that's, you know, that's something I, I had five sisters and they're like, why do you spend so much time with that, Brian? That's just stupid. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, cause I love this, you know, I love putting these things together and just making right. it so precise. And so that's kind of was my start really, I think was doing a lot of small little model work, a lot of drawings as a young boy, young man, uh, seeing the dental students, God, they were, they, you know, it was, it was just fascinating to watch them. You know, we're putting amalgams in these kids, obviously. Uh, and, and, but also seeing a child come in, you know, almost petrified. Right. uh, And and then see them leave with really a smile on their face and and just kind of saying hi and even hugging you. Uh, wow. How much more rewarding, you know, can your career be? Uh, and I still hug a lot of my patients here. uh, There's no question. Um, right. It's very personal what we do, Dennis, you know that, and I know your listeners know that's very personal what we do. And so, you know, I touch a lot of shoulders when I come in the room and hug them, usually when we're done. Um, I just think it's so important. The the human touch, I think, is so powerful. It so is. Powerful. Just, that, just that little touch on the hand, you know, whatever it is on the shoulder. It's so powerful in my, in my thought process. You know, a couple of thoughts come to mind. Uh, Frank Spear did a great presentation for the aesthetic meeting a few years ago on influence. I think that was Coronado where he gave that uh, his influence presentation. I believe it was. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think first time I saw that and boy, I, you know, in, in doing these, these, these podcast interviews, it's so interesting how so many of us, where our influences come from, right? So you're, you're at Davis and you could have been at any other, any other college and you wouldn't have had this dental program that was outside the front door. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's simply happenstance, right? That just there, this just happened to be there and you connected with it, right? And the person that you are, you fit right into that. And if you had been at, you know, San Diego, if you've been at San Diego state or somewhere else, would you have had that same influence, you know, and, and here you are, you know, decades later, simply because of that situation and the person that you are, I think that's, I, over and over, how people get influenced into dentistry, I think is just remarkable. And I think that's just another crazy story of how it just sort of happened. You know, the other thing, my, I talk about this, my, my dentist was this really nice guy, Dr. Prisk, really, really nice guy, old fashioned dentist stood up, you know, didn't use anesthetic, uh, but was really nice. was nice to us as kids and was just a nice guy. And my physician was kind of a jerk and it made a big impact on me. And my, my thoughts going into dentistry was I got a really nice guy that's modeling dentistry. And I got a guy who's not very nice modeling medicine. It really sort of positioned me towards, you know, dentistry is more about being, you know, having relationships with patients and being nice and, and all that. And so that really, and what you said also, then, you know, you get to really impact patients and you get to have these relationships with patients and, in you know, the touch and the communication stuff that we get to do. So I, I think for most of us, it's probably at a higher level than what you can in, in medicine or what is maybe exhibited in medicine. I don't know. I, I would agree with you, especially with, you know, the HMO type medicine where they, they literally have, you know, five minutes, seven minutes they are told, you know, that's really what they're really told. They're told unofficially, but you know, right. five minutes to seven minutes to deal with this patient's problem. 
wow, I mean, that, you know, that would not be fun for me. I, I wouldn't want to practice medicine that way. Lifetime relationships that you establish with a lot of the patients uh, and right. the trust. It's so fulfilling, really. It's so fulfilling as a, just as a human being. Forget your healthcare professional, but just, yeah. just a human being. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I know you hear it a lot. I know your listeners do too. When, when patients come in and say, you know, Brian, I, I don't like really sitting in your chair, but I really like you. Right. You know? uh, and, uh, and I, you know, what do you say? I say, I understand. You know, I, I totally understand, but let's get you through this and take good care of you. And I know, I know, I know, Brian, you're going to do it. You know, you're going to do great work. Okay. You know? Yeah. And, it's nice being human with patients, isn't it? Yes. Yes. It really is. All right. So tell me, so, uh, after you were getting through UC Davis and then you're applying to dental schools, how'd you end up at Maryland? What was that about? So <laughs> kind of interesting. My brother had graduated from the University of Maryland Pharmacy School, which is where my dad did teach part time. So my dad taught uh, in when he, we were in Baltimore, he taught part time at the pharmacy school. And my brother went back to Maryland to do the pharmacy program there. He went to UC Santa Barbara here. So we both were in California schools. And he said, my brother said, why don't you apply to Maryland and you know we'll hang out. I said, OK, that sounds cool. Uh, and uh, so. I only applied to two uh, outside dental schools, which are, you know, out of state dental schools, which was Maryland and Tufts. Mm-hmm. And kind of interesting, Dennis, that uh, uh, I applied to all the uh, California dental schools. I don't believe I applied to SC because I didn't have those kind of funds. Uh, so I was going to have to pay for sure. my own education. Uh, and so SC is a private school. Right. Uh, and uh, I waitlisted on, I got waitlisted on two of the um, California schools, and I got into Maryland and Tufts. And it's like, geez, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but okay. Uh, and so, you know, I said, uh, uh, I'll go to Maryland. I mean, I, I'm kind of familiar with Baltimore, at least a little bit. My parents are familiar with Baltimore. They might come visit, maybe. <laughs> uh, right. And the, the funny part of the story, though, is literally the day that I drive into, so I packed up, I have a Chevy Vega, I packed up uh. a U-Haul, Okay. Yeah. And drove across country with a Chevy Vega. Okay. You laugh because you know what a Chevy Vega is. Not all your listeners know what that is. Well, let's just say this in Spanish, you know, the big problem when they tried to sell the Chevy Vega south of the border, Vega apparently in Spanish means Uh, no go. Ah. Yeah. And so the Chevy Vega did not sell well. (laughs) (laughs) And and it would actually, ironically, it was not an awesome car. But go ahead with your Chevy Vega and your U Haul trailer. Yeah, so I got all my stuff in the U-Haul, and I'm driving across country. Went through Chicago, okay, you know, sure. and uh, got to Baltimore. And my, and my brother says, "Hey, uh, when you get here, go to my girlfriend's apartment." Okay, I didn't, you know, I didn't know this girl from Adam, but great lady, great lady. Marrying her, she was just sweetheart, Marianne's sweetheart. Uh, when we hit it off right away, and we always tease with each other, it, we're you know we're the favorites, so we we just I, I love her. She's fabulous, and. Uh, and so my brother shows up after work and he and uh, goes, hey, well, we got news for you. OK, what's the news? He goes, well, we're moving back. I'm moving back to Washington, the state of Washington. I said, OK, Russ, that's interesting. All right. Well, I'll, I'll manage. I'm a big boy. Right. <laughs> but right. Literally, this day I show up in town and she cooks a great she's a great cook, cooked a meal. We're sitting there having this meal, a little bit of wine, having a nice time. Uh, and uh, just getting caught up with my brother, uh, who I didn't see a lot in pharmacy school and such. And, and now he's working uh, in Baltimore. Uh, he's, he's heading back. He married into the Apple industry. So he married into the Apple industry. And so he uh, quit pharmacy uh, oh. and uh, uh, ended up managing uh, the family's apple orchards and started some of his own. Uh, so Wow, how cool. That's neat. That's, that's how I ended up in, you know, back in Baltimore. And uh, you want to hear a kind of a really bizarre, not bizarre, but interesting story, actually, Dennis, is 
So uh, there I am, and, and uh, we have orientation for dental school. So maybe a week sure. later or so, we have orientation for dental school. And um, it's in the basement of the dental school in this little room at the University of Maryland. And it was an older dental school, but not too old, but it was older dental school. At the time, they got a beautiful dental school now, brand new. Well, it's not brand new now, but it's a gorgeous dental school. And I had one of my best friends from sixth grade. We were, I was in Catholic school at the time, all right, before I left Maryland. So I'm in Baltimore at a Catholic school. Bob Grill was the kid's name. Uh, his dad was a dentist. I went over his, I went over to his house quite often. They lived pretty far away, but they, uh, but he was my best buddy, uh, smart kid. You know, like I said, his dad's his dentist. His dad would come home from work and the mom would serve her him a martini or something. My mom and dad <laughs> never drank. You know, they, my mom and dad, we didn't drink much, you know? Um, and it was like, okay, you know, kind of leave it to Beaver kind of, you know, sure. fast forward, you know, eight years or so, uh, spoke to, never spoke to Bob, wrote him a couple of letters as little boys, 13 year old. Sure. I, you know, and, and so I'm in, I'm in the, um, I'm in the orientation I'm, and I got flip-flops on. I look like an idiot, you know, California. Right, from California. Yeah. You know, and there were two other kids with, with flippers on, you knew those, I said, you're from California, you're from California, you know, and everyone knew we were the idiots from California. We did, I didn't really, I, I did care a little bit, but I didn't overly care. Uh, but I wanted to start out a little different. That's really was my goal, you know, and some of the, like, like, uh, some of the other people had suits on and ties and jackets. I, and, and, you know, listen, I straightened up when I had to, but I, but I sure. wanted to start out a little fun and make people go, Hey, who's this knucklehead with right, right. flip flops on? Are you kidding me? You know? And, um, and so I'm sitting there talking to someone and out of the corner of my ear, I hear, yeah, Hey, Bob grill introducing himself to someone. I said, there's no way in hell that's Bob grill. I said, are you kidding me? That's my best point. friend from sixth grade. And, and so I, I, I said, you know, I ended the conversation with him. I said, excuse me, I, this person behind me, I, I know from elementary school. Okay. And they go, that's impossible. You, you grew up in California. I said, yeah. So I get up and I stand and look, I said, excuse me. And I look right at him. And I said, I know you. And he looked at me and he goes, Brian. How I funny. Said, yeah. I said, yeah. That's great. He goes, oh, my God, you know, and there's Bob Grill. So we, you know, we were very good friends through dental school. So, uh, so I, even though I lost my brother, I had a right. good from elementary school. So, you know, just fun little That's story. so cool. What do you, uh, I mean, dental school is a while back for both of us. What do you remember, like, those first days, those first months coming into dental school? What What do you remember? Uh, the one word I would tell you, you may, maybe, intimidation. Yeah. Um, you know, I, UC Davis is a quite academic school and I did pretty well. Um, but wow, I saw, got into dental school and I said, geez, these kids are smart. I said, yeah. I'm a dummy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to step it up. Uh, I had the same experience. I went to Michigan undergrad, got into Michigan dental school, thought I had this huge advantage coming from Michigan undergrad. Holy cow. There's a lot of smart people out there. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. A lot smarter yeah. than me. I could tell you that. That was, I said, well, holy smokes, you know, and, uh, you know, I worked through undergrad to pay for my undergrad, uh, and and I wasn't going to pay for dental school. I knew I was just going to go in debt, and my goal was really just to become the best dentist I could. Uh, and you know, really, it was. Listen, all my all my classmates would tell you that Brian was a gunner. You know, I mean, there's no question. I studied as hard as anyone. Um, you know, I was determined as hard as anyone. And and one of the things, I, you know, I, I give my mom a lot of credit for it. Uh, honestly, she really was drove me. Uh, you know, she always asked, is that your best effort? 
And I ask the same of my kids, uh, and because I think it's a, key, it's, I think it's an important question. It's just, you know, in your heart of hearts, do you know that's your best effort? And if it is, and you get a B on that test, hey, it's okay. Isn't that the same question you ask every day when you're doing dentistry? Oh, absolutely. You know, is that my best effort? It may not be my best dentistry. Was it my best effort? I mean, because there's going to be patients that are just going to allow us to do our best dentistry, right? But yeah. is it my best effort given that situation? A patient can only open 20 millimeters and we're trying to do some, you know, some restorations and they can't open or they're moving around, flopping around like a fish or whatever, whatever the dynamic they bring in. Or maybe, maybe there's, you know, what issues with ourselves, but is it the best effort that we could put forward? And I think that's, I, I think that is key for anyone out there listening or young dentists. Just ask yourself, is that the, is that the best you could do? Did you give your best effort? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then leave it at that. I think that's great advice from your mother. I think that's really, that's yeah, very, it, very it good. Interesting. You know, I took it as a positive advice. My a couple of my sisters really, you know, didn't like it. <laughs> they found uh, right. it negative, which is, you know, that's a, I don't, you know, that's a personality thing. I said, wow, you took that negative. I said, wow, I only took that as, you know, that's funny. She just, you know, she did. Ex my mother expected a lot of. She expected us to get straight A's. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, you know, I graduated number five out of 155 students. Okay. So, so, you know, that you probably call that a gunner. So you worked uh, hard. In, in, yeah, I worked very hard. Uh, and um, my, my mother said, why weren't you number one when she found out I was number five? You know, it's yeah. like, okay, mom, she's okay. Well, there was a lot of smart people. I passed a lot of smart people. <laughs> a lot of way. You know, uh, uh, but okay. I mean, you know, I, I hope you're still proud of me. She would tell her. And no, she she would always, you know, no, no, I'm proud of you. Of course, I'm proud of you. You know, my dad would always step in there and go, honey, really? Five out of 155 students? Come on, give the kid a break. That's not so bad. <laughs> That's not so bad. Yeah. When you got into the clinical aspects of dental school and stuff, were you relieved? Were you were you excited? Were you were you stressed? Do you remember what it was like when you first started like actually doing dentistry on people? I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it from, from the beginning. Uh certainly the transition from type of dots that we all take to to patients is is challenging, but um I really felt well trained. I will tell you a funny story, and I, uh, Dr. Uh, Bradbury, I can I can tell you in a moment, the first class two restoration I did, and maybe the first restorative procedure I did, I can't remember if it was the first one, but so I basically got the rub, numb the patient, have the rubber dam on, and I cut a perfect class two preparation, okay? Perfect. I mean, box perfect, undercut a little bit. It's perfect, okay? Extension. I got all this crap, and, and I call him over. And he goes, Brian, what do you think that orange stuff is? I go, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he goes, you really don't know. He looked at me like I was an idiot, you know, and I right. was a pretty good student, you know, and I said, I, I don't. He goes, that's decay. I said, oh, that's decay. Okay. That's what decay is. You know, I mean, you worked on type of dots. I said, I got right. a perfect prep like we did on a type of dot, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, never made that mistake again. Uh, I remember I got a big C for, you know, removal of decay. Uh, I think you probably right. got a C, but uh, how did you know him? When you think about it, you go, how do you know? On type of dots your whole, your whole career. And so, uh, it's a, you know, so kind of embarrassing moment to share with your, your, your audience, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. So why not? I'm old enough. Who cares? Yeah. I remember one of my <laughs> preps and I brought someone over and they're like, 
uh, you're still an enamel. <laughs> Can you drop that? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know the difference between enamel and dead. And we've been cutting plastic teeth. And yeah. actually then back in the day, we used to have bins of extracted teeth that we could practice on. Mm. And I spent an evening uh, and I, I remember this, I was in the lab one evening and I just took teeth and I just kept on prepping to feel the difference between enamel and dead when I would hit the DEJ. And I did that a zillion times until I start to started to get that feel for it, like riding a bike. And then after that, then it's like, ah, that's what it feels when you drop through the enamel. But I, I didn't know because we were just working on plastic teeth and, you know, here you go, real world. So, sure, sure. So we're, we're all learning continual learners, right? Especially when we're in dental school, God, there's a lot to learn. There is a lot to learn. Um, You went, you went back out to California for your, for your residency. I did. I did. uh, So I applied at Johns Hopkins and I applied at UCLA. Those were the two main ones. I, I applied couple other ones, but those were the two ones that I really wanted. I mean, I, listen, I knew I was a pretty good candidate. I, you know, I had good grades. I mean, most of the people in the top 10 were going for a specialty program, really. Right. Yep. Um, and I, and I still remember Dr. Bushness came down to my, my uh, cubicle, uh, right. Uh, you know, the week of graduation, he said, he said, Brian, what are you going to, what, what are you doing anyways? I said, uh, oh, I'm going out to UCLA to do a GPR. He says, oh, good for you. That's, you know, you're going home. Yeah. You know, get back in California. And he says, um, he says, I'm so proud of you. I said, okay, thank you. Uh, and he, and I kind of like, what, what do you, he says, well, it was a nice, it was, it was one of the nicer compliments in my career. Two nice compliments coming out of dental school. He said, you know, he says, we need really smart, talented dentists to stay as restorative dentists, you know, as, as general dentists right. and, and never really thought about it. But I, I remember him still saying this, you know, a couple of times a year, probably that just, you know, we really need some smart general dentists. You know, a lot of the top tens go into pros, go into perio, go into oral surgery, you know, and go into ortho. Uh, you know, and that's why most of them work that hard because you needed to be in the top sure. 10, top 10 percent, whatever, whatever the deal is to get in these programs. So uh, I, I enjoy and enjoyed and enjoy general dentistry. I looked and I said, you know, I, I love I love oral surgery. I still do uh, I still take out wisdom teeth? I take out pretty sophisticated wisdom teeth. I do IV sedations in my practice uh, because of the training that I got at UCLA. Uh, it was a hospital-based program. I got into both Johns Hopkins and uh, UCLA. And, and the, the, the gentleman that interviewed me at Hopkins really liked me, and he he was very kind. I've been so blessed in my in my career in my life. I really have been incredibly blessed. I know Dennis, you feel the same way. But he called me up before my the night before my UCLA interview, and he said, "Brian, you're in. We want you." Mm. And I thought, why would he tell me that? Why the heck would he tell me that? Because I'm going to use that, right? <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, um, and interestingly, at UCLA, I had two of my roommates. Two of my roommates, the senior year, there were four of us that lived together. You know, typical housing as dental students. Sure. Right. There were four of us, and we had a four bedroom, nice little uh, car- apartment. And three of us applied to UCLA's GPR program, which kind of oh, made no sense. And and <laughs> so, and one of the questions, of course, you got asked is, Brian, why should we pick you over your roommates? Because they're slobs. They they don't take <laughs> after themselves. Yeah. They, they don't do make dishes. their beds in the morning. <laughs> you know, uh, from under the bus. Uh, so, you know, it was a great question, but, um, you know, I was able to tell them, listen, I'm already in Hopkins and, 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 you know, everyone knows Hopkins is a fabulous institution, but my first really, I really did want to go to UCLA. That was my, my first, um, love really was to be trained at UCLA. You know, you say the word UCLA anywhere around the world sure. and they know where you are. 
you know, uh, you know, you, even I would tell you even more so than Beverly Hills, which, you know, I mean, most people have heard the name Beverly Hills, but uh, I think UCLA is, is world renowned, you know, a staple. I, I've traveled to a couple of countries where I, I would ask the, the tour guide or something. Have you ever heard, you heard of UCLA? And I've had a couple of times. No, which really is mind boggling mm-hmm. to me, uh, but pretty much UCLA is known everywhere. Uh, now, when you when you finished your program, how did you start out in practice? What was your what was your initial getting into uh, into a private practice and stuff like that? So, uh, so I'm in Southern California, all right. So I'm here in Los Angeles, finishing up my program. <laughs> well, interesting, Dennis. I hadn't passed the boards yet. Sure, so I, right. I had just taken the California boards, which in those days was impossible. Fifty percent of the out of state students, at best, passed the boards. At best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was an out-of-state student, but the good news was is the, the senior dental students liked me. So the, as a GPR, they would come into the GPR clinic, sometimes watch us work. Uh, I became friends with some of them, and it really worked out to my advantage. Um, and so they treated me like a UCLA student. And so I had a setup that I looked like I was a UCLA student, and most outsiders, if you will. Didn't. Sure. So you yep. had different s- stuff. Okay. Right. From instruments to hand pieces that you had, you look like a foreigner, if you will. And yeah. that wasn't, you know, a, a positive for you. For sure. Uh, and so I had taken the, so, you know, the programs go July to June, but I took the boards in June. So now all of a sudden I'm sitting there going, I won't know the answer to this till maybe August, maybe September, maybe October. So right. what am I going to do in this transition period? And I, I the truth of the matter is I got, I did find a doctor who said, okay, you know, just as long as you pass your boards, obviously we'll hire you. And um, they were going to pay me $125 a day. Now, this is 1983. But I still said, wow, $125, that doesn't seem fair. And so. So uh, so just for those who can't do the quick math, that's around 30 grand a year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, uh, it was less, I think, than I got paid. You know, it was about the same that I got paid in the GPR program, which right. you, know, you expect a residency. You're not going to get paid well. Uh, yeah, but they're actually teaching you. You're going to learn something uh, sure. in the residency yep. program and get a lot of experience, uh, which was really a fabulous program. Uh, and so I said, well, that doesn't look very good. And, and so I said, okay, let me let me just reach out to University of Maryland because Dr. Bushness, when, when I did, when he gave me those kind words, he said, Brian, anytime you want to come back here, you're invited. And, and so, you know, I remembered those words. And so I called him up, said, hey, Dr. Bushness, um, I'm, I finished my GPR program. Wouldn't mind coming back to Maryland. Um, is there something, would there be an opening? And he said, Brian, you're, you're absolutely. And so, so I moved back to Maryland, joined as an associate in a private practice in Washington, D.C., and then taught at the dental school. So that's, that's really, that was the start of my career is, is I was an associate uh, two or three days, I think three days a week in a practice in downtown Washington, D.C., very similar to your Chicago situation, you know, beautiful, beautiful downtown area, uh, and um, taught uh, part-time at the dental school. How long were you then in Maryland before you headed out west? Yeah, so I was in Maryland from 84 to 90. A lot of people don't know that part of my story, which was, uh, so I practiced in D.C., uh, taught at the dental school for about three or four of those years, but from 84 to 90, I was in I was in Washington, D.C., and really a had a fabulous time. Loved Washington, D.C. Uh, loved the patients. Um, the one story I, I, w- I would tell, I think, because uh, the people listening would kind of enjoy this, which is, um, I, I honestly, I sort of got fired from my first job. Um, and we didn't really, he didn't really fire me, but uh, he certainly let, he let me go. Very cordial, though. We, we're still actually friends today. Uh, so it wasn't a bad breakup. But 
He was a good dentist. He was a better businessman. So that was really helpful for me because sure. we don't have any business uh, in dental school. So I learned some of the business side of dentistry. So when I left, I, I you know, I said, hey, you know, I'll be able to take my patients with me. And he said, of course, uh, but we want to see what charts you're taking. I said, well, that's fair. You know, yeah, sure. And, and so, you know, I had a, I had literally dentists. I had a box this big, a really small little box. OK. Yeah. And I had roughly 50 patients in this box. OK. And I'm walking down. Hay Street in Washington, D.C., one of the bigger avenues in, in, in Washington, D.C., and I'm literally holding this box in my hand like this, you know, and, you know, a little heavy because I got 50 charts and x-rays and stuff. Right. And I look down at the box and I'm walking. I look down at the box and I go, this is your dental practice. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm looking, I'm going, 50 patients, how many days is that going to fill? <laughs> you know? right. And I said, I better learn some verbal skills. I better learn the skill of how to ask patients to refer patients to me. Yeah. And that was a very pivotal moment in my career that when I looked in that box and said, holy smokes, this is this is what I have. Uh, I was in D.C. for two years at the time. You know, there I had 50 odd patients. Uh, and, you know, how was I going to grow a practice? So I started a practice from scratch. I rented I rented one operatory from another dentist who had built a nice office, had two operatories available to me. But um, I really had one most, I could use the overflow room if I had to, but he got, he got a little upset with me if I used it much. So I really, I try to be courteous. I'm not, that's not the right thing to do. I was paying for one room. That's what I had to kind of stick with. You know, it's interesting. I think for people who are associates or going into associate positions, one of the things that I had to learn when I joined with Mopper and when my associate or my partner, Chris joined as an associate is you, when you're an associate, you got to grow your own practice. You have to build a practice within a practice. Unless someone has retired and they're giving you a practice or someone's passed away and there's a whole, you know, whole slew of patients. But in most practices, when you come in, there's no dentist that's working 80 hours a week so they can give you 40 hours a week worth of patients. You have to grow a practice. And so much of that is developing the verbal skills and understanding how to connect with your patients and how to plant the seeds to be able to do the dentistry that they need, that you want to do, but it doesn't happen immediately. And so much of that is overlooked. And I think so much is taken for granted. And certainly I did when I went in as an associate, I thought, oh, well, they're just going to start feeding me patients. Well, you got to, you got to create a practice. And hopefully the person that you're with will help you create that practice, will help you build the practice. But it's incumbent on the associate. You have to realize you have to build a practice within a practice and hopefully have great guidance and great support. And that was something that I had to learn. And it sounds like maybe that's something that you had to learn along the way also. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, you know, looking down in that box, I still, you know, the feeling that went through my gut at that time. Yeah. I didn't tell you, as I alluded to earlier on, when we moved around, all right, as a young man, um, it really caused me to be very shy. And uh, so I really, as a young man, most people that know me and see me public speak would think, you know, there's no way this kid was shy. You know, this guy can't be shy. But as a young man, I was incredibly shy. I mean, um, to me, public speaking, you know, I don't have any problems with it. But I, I can tell you, I took a public speaking course at UC Davis, and I would almost throw up before I had to do the public speaking. Mm, I hate to say it, but almost. I didn't. But I mean, my hands were as sweaty as they could be. I mean, you know, it was it was challenging. And, these, you know, these are standing up in front of 20 knuckleheads. I mean, I don't mean to put it, you know, just sure. friends. You know, right. Right. You know, yeah. uh, it's not, you know, some smart dentist standing out there or something. It was just, you know, and you're telling some story. So um, I saw my dad was also a teacher. He was an educator. So in pharmacy, uh, you know, he testified in front of Congress, uh, my dad. 
uh, over uh, CE requirements, actually. So I, you know, I saw my dad do a lot of things. I remember standing in the back of the room and watching my dad in front of, you know, 500 pharmacists, whoever these people were, you know, I figured they're pharmacists. Sure. You know, I, I sometimes tell the story to my dad be, just because I, you know, subliminally it had, had obviously an effect on me right. where, you know, now I teach and, and share, but it was, it was challenging for me. I was very shy. So for, for me to, you know, stand in front of even my classmates, like I said, at UC Davis, and then, and then to teach at another level uh, was hard, but I also always in my life don't like to have fears. And um, so I've always took on fears kind of head on, which, you know, is a weird human nature, a uh, character of me, honestly. Uh, but like, I have a fear mm -hmm. of drought. And um, so I scuba dive, you know, that's stupid. Why would I do that? But it's like, I just, I don't know, why do we have to have fears? Uh, you know, it's not scary. I mean, it's scary to go stand in front of people, but it's not going to kill you. Now, scuba diving might kill you. you might get, you know, right. But just standing. If you run out of oxygen, that could be an issue. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, learn that uh, trick at least, and I'll look at your gauges, <laughs> and you'll probably do all right. But um, I think one of the things that makes things fearful for people is that they don't have control over certain situations. So I think you know people are fear of flying. They don't have control. You know, they're used to driving. They have control. They got the steering wheel. People when they get into an airplane, they lose that control people fear of swimming, right? Lose that control. So I think maybe diving into it, no pun intended, mm -hmm. is that you want to learn to get that control of those things that are giving you fear so that you can overcome those issues is what I would think. And I think that makes perfect sense. And I think that's an issue in dentistry too, because so often, you know, there are things that are, when we're looking at treatment for patients and looking at complex treatment, we think we can't do that. And it's scary and it's fearful. But really is making that dive in to learn how to be successful doing those procedures. So overcoming that fear so you can do more dentistry that's, I think, this more more challenging and more, uh, more enjoyable, quite honestly. So I think that sort of fits in a lot with probably what you're doing in your dental world and doing sedation and taking out third molars and stuff like that, just sort of overcoming those fears and just sort of diving in and doing it. Yeah. Fun and profitability, I'd add to that, Dennis, also. Well, you, know, yeah. you said enjoyment, and, uh, you know, so certainly, you know, but uh, gosh, you, this is, I say we picked a very hard profession. Okay, dentistry no is doubt. not easy to do. You know, most dentists not have easy. some neck aches, some back aches, something. And uh, and the psychology that goes into it, it's a very, very challenging profession. Um, you know, I, I love what I get to do, but it's it certainly is, um, uh, it can be very, it can be very fun, but it certainly is is very challenging at so many levels, at so many levels. And, and you're right that, you know, you know, I don't just die. I didn't just dive in doing, you know, horizontally or vertically impacted wisdom teeth, just aimlessly, just carelessly, I should say. Uh, right. you know, I, I was well-trained at UCLA. I took very difficult cases out. I watched, I assisted the oral surgeons, residents as they took difficult cases out. The, or, the head of oral surgery liked me because I, you know, I, I, you know, I was there. I was working where I'm going with that, as you know, is, is training, 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 mentor. Who's your mentor, mentoring, 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 you know, study, study, say, I mean, if, I'm in my private office right now at, at the, at the, I'm um, my dental practice. And I mean, over here, I've got journals, you know, just journals, journal of prosthetic dentistry, journal, journal of aesthetic and restorative dentistry, journal of the AACD. You know, I, I, they're all around me. My kids, I go on vacation. My, my, the funniest thing I can tell you, Dennis, my daughter about three years ago, she goes, Baba, I want you to go on vacation without your computer. I know, right? So and, what's and that I, like? What's I said, that? honey, there's not a prayer in the world that that'll ever happen. Yeah. 
I said, I hope I don't disappoint you. <laughs> she goes, Papa, can't you just like not go without your computer? I said, no, yeah. I can't. <laughs> I, said, I, get it. I said, there's lectures on there. There's work on there. There's the stuff I got to do. And so she goes, yeah, but why don't you just put it down? Like not do it. And my wife's looking at me like, yeah, listen. Yeah, to your <laughs> She's been wondering the same thing. <laughs> and I said, it just isn't going to happen. That's not in my DNA. I, yeah. I said, you know, you you know, it's the old adage, the old verbiage that, you know, you don't know what you don't know, or uh, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. All right. Yep. So the more you know, well, you know, and so. And that, that leads me to my, my next question. So you've been a, a accredited member of the AECD for decades, and then a fellow not, that didn't take you long after that. How'd you get involved with the AECD? And was that your first like introduction into aesthetic dentistry, a cosmetic dentistry stuff? Or what, what was your, like, how'd you get into all that? What was your route? Uh, first of all, I enjoyed it. Okay. I'll tell you a really funny story. So uh, as an associate in, in another office uh, in, in the Maryland area, the owner of the practice worked on his mother-in-law and did some bonding on the front teeth. Okay. And the mother-in-law went home crying. I didn't know this. I was in my back operatories. And, and the dentist came to me and said, Brian, would you come and at the end of the day and fix this bonding? So what do you mean when I come and fix the bonding? You know, and he goes, no, he goes, you, you got a good aesthetic eye. So will you, will you come and maybe you won't do it, but at least tell me what I need to do. And so I sat there in the assistant's chair and told him, okay, well, just take, move that line angle over a little bit, make this edge. You know, and so, and this is 1988, you know, where there weren't a lot of courses in aesthetic dentistry. So where were you learning that? Like, how'd you know to move the line angle? How'd you, how was it from your waxing courses when you were in dental school? Was it from continuing education you had done? What, how'd you know to tell them that? Yeah, I, a, a lot of it was, I think, the waxing courses, uh, certainly. Uh, we did a lot of waxing. I, I know you probably did also in this generation. The newer generations aren't doing as much, which I think is a shame. But I, it was interesting. I had a very influential lecture by Dr. Bob Stein. So Bob Stein headed Pross at, um, at BU, I believe it was. Uh, and this is 1985 or so. I still remember it. Uh, and he said uh, that a tooth has like 138 trapezoids in it. And he had a drawing of the tooth with 130. I assume you know, I didn't count them. Right. And, but it was a lecture on aesthetic dentistry, on, on tooth form, tooth contours and such. And I, and I sat there and was fascinated by his lecture. I mean just blown away by this lecture. And the funniest part was an all day lecture at lunchtime, three quarters of the room left. There was, you know, there was a handful of us left in the sure. afternoon. I felt bad for the gentleman because that's, that's really not nice. Um, but he was just teaching at such a, a depth that for me, you know, again, it goes back to that little model making. And I was just moving a, a little tiny pieces and it was like, wow, okay, 130. Okay. I get it. You know, I think that was probably the, besides the waxing in dental school and the preciseness that we really needed to do it at, you know, I think that was probably the next thing that influenced me. Um, I got it. I went to the first AACD meeting in 1992 and that's where I heard of accreditation. I, I, I forget how someone invited me or, you know, there was a notice saying, Hey, if you want to become accredited, oh, I don't even know what that is, but okay. And I went, uh, I went to this session, mm -hmm. accreditation. And I said, you know, that's cool. I mean, you know, I'm out of school here, you know, almost 10 years uh, and never been graded, you know, since dental school. Right. And wow, it'd be really fat. It'd be really cool to see my colleagues, you know, quote unquote, sort of validate that I'm a decent dentist. All right. So that really intrigued me. And so that was 1992. 
And uh, two years later, I was accredited. You know, I, I um, just, you know, worked hard at it, read as much as I could, anything that was out there, uh, studied. I remember going to Bill Dorfman was my uh, mentor. You know, we had very casual mentors sure. in this place. And uh, so I went over to Bill and Bill knew me a little bit peripherally. You know, he was just starting a discus dental. So he knew that I was a young guy in town, just kind of, we were both, we were both the same age. Uh, and so we, we had a little initial friendship. Actually, I just saw him at the mall yesterday, which was very funny. I was with my wife. I said, I haven't seen Bill in like two years or whatever. I said, you know, hey, Brian, how you doing? So we chat a little bit, but, and so I, I had my six direct case type five, the six direct uh, composites. Bill goes, let me show me your cases real quick, Brian. I said, okay. You know, he's busy <laughs> and I, I respect that. And he goes, oh yeah, those are fine. Those are fine. I said, okay. I said, uh, this is the one I need you to really look at. Tell me which one. And so I showed him the cases and he goes, Brian, both those pass. I said, are you sure? <laughs> you know, and he goes, oh, come on, man, that's good dentistry. I said, well, I, you know, I don't know the level. I, you know, you know. Right. Uh, and he goes, no, nah. he goes, I said, okay, which one would you have me submit? <laughs> you know, and he goes, okay, take, you know, number two, submit number two, you know. And, um, but, you know, in those days you stood up in front of the examiners, you know, so they had a table, there were five examiners. You came in the room, you had your slides in the back of the room, you know, and you presented it. Um, and, you know, I had done some speaking, so I was a little bit comfortable speaking, not, a, not as much, but, um, you know, because that's an intimidating scenario to go into For a sure. room of, you know, these uh, talented dentists, colleagues uh, that are already accredited at the time right. and um, show your work. And then they, they ask you questions at the end. Um, and you had to defend it like a thesis. Yeah, you did. Uh, and it was, but I was very comfortable. It wasn't like, you know, I did the dentistry. I've been doing the dentistry for a long time. And because they say, well, you know, I remember the question. It was like, well, can you go over your bonding uh, procedure? And I said, okay, would you, do you want to know the adhesive portion of it or the layering of composite? Okay. And they go, right. give it to us all. Okay. You know, so I, you know, listen, I, I've been studying adhesive dentistry. Yeah, I went to the University of Maryland, which is where really, you know, when you think about it, modern day sure. adhesive kind of somewhat started modern day. Certainly sure a lot more in the 50s, you know, really developed the acid etching and such. But but the University of Maryland, the Maryland Bridge, uh, yep. which we all have, Maryland Bridges somewhere in our practice. We have failing Maryland Bridges too in our practice. They come off, but they can be bonded back on most of them. You know, it's a, it's yep. a um, but it was fun to know the two gentlemen, Leviditis and Van Thompson, who, who you know, sure. developed these two bridges. And, and um, you know, they were both instructors of mine, so I knew them pretty well. Hey, dental online trainers, I hope that you've enjoyed this first part of our conversation with Brian LeSage. Now, look forward to the part two drop of our continued conversation, and we'll see you then. Well, thanks so much for listening or viewing our ShareCast today. If you enjoy this and you want to get more information from Dental Online Training, then check us out at dothandson.com. That's one word, dothandson.com. Now, as a reminder, DOT has so many other great opportunities for your learning. We have our Wine and Unwind monthly webinars where we engage real time with our viewers as we bring in leaders throughout the dental industry to bring you up-to-date information and answer your questions. We have our monthly coffee and donut study club sessions where our participants bring in cases. And we treat and plan these cases together to help you bring great treatment to your patients. We have our live virtual workshops where our dental online trainers perform the same techniques from their kits as I'm doing from the comfort of their own home or office. 
We have our blogs and we have endless selection of our hands-on pre-recorded technique courses to help you improve the clinical dentistry that you can provide for your patients. That's right. With our on-demand courses, you do these hands-on exercises when the time is right for you. So check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Dental Online Training. And hey, be sure to share this with your friends and colleagues who you think might benefit from the Surecast and everything that DOT has to offer. And now, how about one of those coveted five-star ratings? Please go to your site and help us by getting the word out to others. And we'd welcome one of those wonderful five-star ratings. This episode was created with special help from Claire O'Neill. It was edited by Ashley Dixon-Ellison and with original music by Chris Peterson. Again, thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartley, yours for better dentistry. Thank you.